Turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 2. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. We're going to go verses 19 through 30. We spent the last few weeks um, talking through the book of Philippians, and it's Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And uh, so we're going to continue in that today, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, so uh, that's new for me, to be excited to preach, so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, to, to, to start this out this morning, I want to tell you a quick story. One day, a man went to the doctor because he was concerned about his lessening level of energy. Lessening level of energy. He told his doctor that he wasn't able to do all the things around the house that he was used to do or wanted to do. When the exam was complete, the man said to the doctor, Okay, doc, I can take it. Give me in plain English what you think is wrong with me. The doctor looked back and said, okay, in plain English, you're lazy. In plain English, you're just lazy. Whew. That's a relief, the man said. Now give me a medical term so that I can tell my wife. <laughs> We're on to you guys. No, uh, okay. <laughs> in the early years of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln became so frustrated with the inactivity of the Union General, uh, of the Union General um, McClellan, George McClellan, that he wrote McClellan this one-sentence letter. The letter said this, Dear General McClellan, if you don't want to use the army, I should like to borrow it for a while. Respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. Isn't it amazing? Here was the general of an army with vast resources of men and ammunition, and he was doing nothing with those resources. Isn't it amazing? Here was the general of an army with the vast resources of men and ammunition. He was doing nothing with the resources. And so here's my question, and here's kind of where we're launching from today in Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 30. How often do we see that same thing in the church? How often do we see the same thing in the church where we have so many resources, so much energy, so much passion, so much knowledge, so much this, so much that, and yet we're doing nothing with those resources outside of the four walls of this church, outside of the four walls of the church? How often do we see that in the church. How often do we see the same things in the church? I said at the end of last service, because we're going to sing a song um, at the end of this service that I think really speaks to this a lot. If, if you're going through something in this room, if you're walking through something, or maybe, you know, it, you know, just your coffee was wrong this morning, or, you know, something happened on the way into church. You, you know, one of the most common times to argue in a marriage is on the way to church, because um, it's almost like somebody doesn't want you here, Right? Um, or somebody doesn't want you to receive anything while you're here, or somebody, you know, you know what I mean? You get that? You picking up what I'm laying down this morning, church? Um, did you know that everything you need to face the storm that you're facing in your life right now is available? Everything you need to do what God's called you to do right now is available to you through the Holy Spirit. And yet we have all this access, we have all this power, we have all, we have, we have all the things, we have all the tools that we need, all the tools that we need. 
I was um, in Lincoln, New Hampshire one time uh, with a friend, and we were, you know, we were, we were hanging out, our families were playing together, we were having breakfast, and we were going to go down to the pool, and we were, you know, do, doing all these things, and, and, um, and in his uh, little room, they had a Murphy bed, right, a Murphy bed. And, and you know what a Murphy bed is, right? It's one of those beds that comes down off the wall. And then, and then when, you're, you know, when you're not using it, you can put it up and you have so much more room for activities, right? And so, um, and, and so we, we were, we, I'd never seen a Murphy bed before. Like I'd, I had never actually seen a Murphy bed before. And so I, when I first got there, the Murphy bed was down. And you, know, you see all those cartoons or those movies, I don't remember what, but you, where they jump in the Murphy bed and then it folds up. You know, right there. And so I thought, that's awesome, right? So I'm just going to go. And so I took like two giant leaps and then just went for it, right? And just jumped on the Murphy bed. And you know what the Murphy bed did? (laughs) Snapped, right? And it wasn't even our room. We were visiting a friend's room at, at a different place. And so, you know, so I had no ties to this, but I felt horrible, right? Number one, I broke the Murphy bed. Number two, I didn't achieve what I set out to do. It didn't fold up on me, you know? And so I was super bummed out because it was like false advertising, all these things. And so, you know, and so I, did, and so I was super bummed out. Well, we proceeded to, to send everybody down to the pool while he and I went down to Ace Hardware, you know, got a hammer, got a little piece of wood, got all these things to, um, to fix everything. We spent, you know, like 80 bucks on all these tools and, and everything. that we, we had to get a screwdriver, we had to get all these things because we couldn't tell the, the, you know, the, 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 the service department at the hotel what had happened, right, for them to fix it, because then that would have been probably a lot more than $80. And so we were taking matters into our own hands to fix this. Please don't call anybody. This was like seven years ago. We just need to let it lie, okay? But let me finish the story. So we go, we fix the whole thing, then we go to hop in the van and go down and meet the rest of the family. When we look in the trunk of the van, guess what we see? A hammer. A screwdriver, a drill, a drill, which would have been super helpful, a spare piece of wood, screws, actually all of the equipment that we had just spent like 80 bucks on to fix this Murphy bed, which we did a great job, by the way. I mean, that thing was super durable. I jumped on it again, it didn't snap at all. So, praise the Lord. Next person that probably stayed there, snapped. What did you do? Anyway, um, but all of the tools that we needed to fix what we had just broken were right in his van. And yet, he forgot. So we never accessed him. Isn't that interesting? How often does that happen in our lives? All of the tools that we need are right there at our fingertips. And yet, we never access them. We forget. We spin out of control. We do this, we do that. We get super anxious all of a sudden and, and, and thought process just goes right out the window. It happens so often. It happens so often. I'm building a message around this. I heard this this past week. The average 17-year-old has the same level of anxiety today as a 1950 psychiatric ward patient. Isn't that wild? The average 17-year-old today has the same anxiety level. It's not nice to look at your sister like that, okay? It's not nice. Not nice. The average 17-year-old today has the same anxiety level as a psychiatric war patient in the 1950s. 
It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Heartbreaking. 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 And I'm not here to fix anxiety. Like I said, that's going to come later. I, I, let me, we'll talk about that later. But it's heartbreaking. Because there's this Holy Spirit, this power, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave that lives in us, yet when we're walking through everyday life, when we're overcoming storms, when we're walking through battles, we think, oh, I can handle this one. I can do this one. Holy Spirit, enjoy your coffee. I got this. When again, we weren't created to do those things alone. We weren't created to try to tackle those things. The tools are in the trunk of the van. Go check. Go pull them out. Go dust them off. Paul, to the church at Philippi, has written about some incredible things so far. I mean, when we think back to chapter 1, and again, part of the reason that we're walking through the book of Philippians verse by verse is because Paul deals with some major themes for the church. He deals with some major themes for the church in this book. Unity, joy, you know, fellowship, humility. You know, some things that are just, just pivotal to the life of the church and accomplishing God's mission for the church, God's vision for the church. And so if you think back, right, what has he really done? Here as we finish chapter 2, what has he really done with the introduction in the first part of his letter to the church at Philippi? Right? In chapter 1, he talked about his struggle. He, in his greeting, he talked about his struggle. Right? He talks about how he's imprisoned. He's chained right to these Praetorian guards. But he tells the church of Philippi, don't feel sorry for me. As a result of my chains, some of the Praetorian guard are meeting Jesus. They're coming to the faith as a result of my struggle. So don't feel sorry for me. Don't, you know, don't cry for me. God is using me. Right? And so what is he doing there? He's setting an example of faith for the church of Philippi. Right? As Paul. And then in chapter 2, he goes on and he says, if there's any comfort of love, any joy in the Spirit, right, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having this mind of Christ. Right? And so, and so chapter 1, he talks about following his example. Chapter 2, he lays out this example of Jesus and says, all right, uh, you know, don't just follow my example. Follow this example of Jesus. Right? And then we get to this passage today. We'll get to this passage today, and what we're going to look at today is what many commentators call the priceless pair. Okay, the priceless pair. What's the priceless pair? I'm glad you asked. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy, you might have heard of in Scripture. Epaphroditus, we don't know much about um, from Scripture. We're going to talk about them today, though. Timothy and Epaphroditus. So why does Paul bring these two guys on the scene in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30? Because much like the church at Philippi, I'm sure that many of us could have the same temptation. Okay, Paul, you're talking to me about unity, you're talking to me about joy, you're talking to me about you know, humility and fellowship and all this, and you're setting these examples. You're setting yourself as the example, you're setting Jesus as the example. I mean, come on, right? And so if I'm the church at Philippi and I'm receiving this 
letter, I might say, well, that's Paul and Jesus. I mean, look at Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's probably, arguably, the best church planter of all time, right? I mean, he's got this. He gets this, right? I mean, think about Paul's testimony. Persecuted Christians in his past life, meets Jesus on the Damascus Road, goes blind, right? And, and encounters God right there on the road to Damascus, goes to where God tells him, right? Life change immediately, right? I mean, just an unbelievable testimony. Then he goes on to do all the things that we read about and all the things that, 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 that we see even in this. And then, Jesus, right? I mean, as many times as we're told in Scripture to imitate Christ, to follow the example of Jesus. Ephesians 5.1, imitate Christ, therefore, as His dear children, right? I mean, how many times do we quote that to each other? And yet, in the back of our minds, we're sitting there, much like the church of Philippi probably was, and we're sitting there like, man, but I just, whew, those are some big shoes. I mean, you got Paul, you got Jesus, you got Jesus, you got Paul. I mean, I mean, I, there's no way. And so we, the temptation for us, probably much like the church at Philippi, is to say, well, I can never be like them. And so it's okay that I'm still like this, right? I can never be like them, so it's okay that I'm like this. And that's exactly why Paul brings Timothy and Epaphroditus in here. Because they were two guys that the church at Philippi would have known and would have known well. They were two guys that the church of Philippi would have known and would have known well. And they would have been guys that, that the church of Philippi would have been like, well, I, I used to eat breakfast with that guy every Sunday morning. I used to, I used to babysit this kid like way back when. I, like I could follow his example. They were people that were like them. And so, and so the, the church at Philippi would have been able to really latch themselves on to Timothy and Epaphroditus and say, okay, you know, Jesus... I mean, he's Jesus, right? Paul, man, that's, that's some lofty you know, example. That's some lofty you know, following right, right there. But Timothy and Epaphroditus, I can identify with these guys. I get these guys. And a lot of commentators say that's why Paul went here with this priceless pair, Timothy and Epaphroditus, so that the church at Philippi could, could not have the excuse Right? Could not have the, the medical term. Could not, have, could not have any excuse to sit back and, and say, well, you know what? That's Jesus. That's Paul. I'm me. Different level. Right? Because Timothy and Epaphroditus would have been right there. Clearly able to identify with them. Clearly able to say, you know what? I can follow their example. So read with me. Philippians chapter 2. Hopefully you have your Bibles to follow along. If you don't, um, then, then the passage is going to be on the screen. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about three qualities that Paul talks about with Timothy, three qualities that Paul talks about with Epaphroditus, how we can follow those examples, and then we've got three application uh, steps at the end. You ready? The people that were in the first service are excited. Okay, thanks, Kathy. Okay, good. So, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope there to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. 
And I trust in the Lord that I shortly, that shortly I myself will come also. Remember, I mean, Paul's awaiting execution like any moment. He's 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 changed the Praetorian Guard, the the the, the guards of the guards of that day. I mean, and, and and for him to write these things, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. I don't know how it's gonna go, but I'm gonna walk in joy the whole way, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to look at this kind of verse by verse. But Paul had been challenging this church. He'd been challenging the church at Philippi to live a life worthy of the gospel to face persecution with joy, to be humble servants who put the needs of others ahead of their own needs. Timothy and Epaphroditus were not divine, right? They weren't apostles. They were ordinary people who served in extraordinary ways. They set the example in humility and sacrificial service because they were living in gratitude for God's grace. And that's why Paul thought that these Two guys would be the two people that the, that the church of Philippi would say, you know what, I can follow them. I can model my life after them. In the church, if you're taking notes, write this down. In the church, in the church of Jesus, not just Summit Church today, but in the church there's always been, so think back, there's always been, there always will be a need for more people who are willing to serve and sacrifice to accomplish God's mission in the church. In the church, there's always been and there always will be a need for more people who are willing to serve and sacrifice to accomplish God's mission for His church. In the church, there, were always, there always has been, there always will be a need for more people who are willing to serve and to sacrifice to accomplish God's mission for His church. Let's look at the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. First of all, Paul described Timothy as a sympathetic man. Look at verse 20. He says, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy cared about the people of Philippi. He was concerned about their needs. He was genuinely interested in others. He wasn't just playing a role. He wasn't just seeking some personal benefit. He truly cared about them. Paul said he had no one else like him that would do this. Not for his own advancement. Not for, not for a cookie. Not for this. Not for that. but he would be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Servants of God are sympathetic and caring towards others. Right? Caring. 
Some of that in caring towards others. I mean, how many times have you walked through something in your life? I've been this way a couple times recently where I've been in a room of people and we've been talking about things and I'll, I'll say something. I'll say, listen, listen, listen. Just, just do that. Just listen. Like, don't try to fix me for a moment. Just, just pretend to care. Like, just, like, you know what I mean? Like, just, just, just sit there. Just, just listen. I don't, I don't need anybody else to, to, to fix me, okay? Just, just hear me. Just hear me. Just hear me. And I get the sense from Paul that Timothy was like that. He was someone that, that wasn't just concerned about fixing people so that he could get on or so that he would uh, receive the praise of, of having you know, the, the right things to say or, or, or what have you, but that he genuinely cared, sympathetic and caring towards others. Secondly, in verse 21, if you look there, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul described Timothy as a selfless man. Not trying to make his name famous, not trying to you know, get his practice bigger or this or that. But that it, when he served, he was selfless. He did it as unto Christ. Third, Paul described Timothy as a seasoned man. Look at verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the Gospel. He's proven worth. He's been through some things. He's seen some things. He was a great example for them and for us because he was sympathetic. He was selfless. He was seasoned. He had walked through some storms. He had seen some things happen. He had followed some people. He had followed some people. He um, had walked through some things. You know, I think... Oh, let's keep going. Let's keep going. So that's Timothy. That's, Tim- that's Timothy. And then we get to Epaphroditus. And before we unpack what Paul said here about Epaphroditus, I want to talk about Epaphroditus a little bit because we don't really know a lot of the backstory when it comes to, to O.E. here, right? E. Um, you know, Epaphroditus, right? What a fun name, right? I'm going to change that name to Travis Epaphroditus. I think, I think it goes, right? Pastor Epaphroditus. No, I think we'll stick with Travis. But before we look at, before we look at what Paul said about him, I want to I talk about it. Because he was a member of the church at Philippi. He was a member of the church at Philippi who become a servant to Paul. And this story is pretty fascinating when you think about it. When the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, their hearts were moved, right? They were moved and they, they needed to do something. They needed to act. They needed to serve Paul in some way. And so they decided to send a financial gift. They decided to send a financial gift to Paul through Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus was going to be a messenger. He was going to take this gift, this love offering from the church of Philippi to Paul um, and, and, and serve in that way. In addition to carrying the financial gift, the church at Philippi also intended for Epaphroditus to stay in Rome and serve Paul as his personal aid. So this tells us at least two things about Epaphroditus from the church of Philippi's perspective. Number one, he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy, right? Because you don't just send money with anybody to, to another place, right? On a journey, right? You don't just, you don't just do that with just anybody, you, right? You kind of vet that person. You kind of make sure that, that they're going to they're gonna, um, follow through with their commitment here. And so it says that he was trustworthy because he was taking this financial gift from the church of Philippi to Paul. Secondly, it says that Epaphroditus was brave. 
Because Epaphroditus not only was just supposed to deliver this gift and say, okay, Paul, best of luck. I'm out of here before I get seen with you. Because there was quite the risk here of being associated with Paul. Because again, think about Paul's situation. Awaiting execution. Things go badly. Epaphroditus is identified as someone who's with Paul. Then guess what? Something goes badly for him. Guilty by association. Right? And so, and so Epaphroditus is not only trustworthy, but brave. Because he was willing right, to lay his life down um, 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 you know, and, and, and sacrifice and deliver that gift, but also stay and be associated with Paul in, in a little bit of a tense situation. So he's trustworthy. He was brave. He was trustworthy. He was brave. He got sick along the way, right? And, and Paul even says that um, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but, him, uh, but, but on Paul also. Um, and so he had been through some things. He had gone through some things. And so first, we see that Paul described Epaphroditus as a serving man. So not only was he trustworthy, not only was he brave because of the, the things that he had done, and that's, that's pretty much all we know about Epaphroditus up until this point from Scripture. All we know right there is that, is that story. But, but Paul describes Epaphroditus as a serving man. Look at verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Look at all the titles there that Paul gives to Epaphroditus. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus was an active servant. In relation to Paul, he was a brother. In relation to ministry, he was a worker. He was somebody that wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He was somebody that wasn't afraid to work for things, to serve in a sacrificial way. In relation to spiritual war, he was a soldier in the trenches. He wasn't afraid to put the armor on. He wasn't afraid to go to battle on people's behalf. He wasn't afraid to, to conquer things. He wasn't afraid to overcome things. He was a soldier. You know, I was, I was, I was sitting there, because one of the things that I do to kind of spice up you know, my spiritual walk, so, so to speak, from time to time, you know, to spice it up, right, um, is, is, is I listen to a lot of different sermons and a lot of different podcasts from different people. And, you know, I think I mentioned last week about a podcast that I was listening to with that had Bob Goff on it. So this past week, I was looking at some different titles of podcasts and found one. And that's where I learned about the, 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 the average 17-year-old and different, different things like that. It was just mind-boggling and, and, and heartbreaking all at the same time. And, and, um, and, and, and as I was scrolling through some podcasts this, this past week, I think it was Thursday morning, it was you know, and I was just kind of going through, going through, going through. And I don't have any hard data here to give you because I, I just didn't really look at, look at things that deeply. But it, but it did kind of show me things about where we are when it comes to serving and servanthood today. Entitlement in the church. For probably every, and again, I don't have hard data here. So for some of you guys, that's going to really drive you crazy. But just, just follow me here. Um, for every probably hundred leadership podcasts, leadership, leadership, quote unquote, there might be there might be one that talks about servanthood. There might be one that talks about 
shepherding. There might be one that talks about caring for people. And so here's what we're teaching each other. Here's what we're showing each other. Listen, listen. You want to get to the top. You want to get noticed. You want to get seen. Then here's what you do. You do A, B, and C. And you finagle people and you convince people and you sell people on this and you sell people on that. It's your best life now. See that? See that? It's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. Right? And you just try to, you just try to do this, you try to do that. But yet, whenever I look at Scripture, I see that the only way to elevate yourself, and elevate is a loose term. Let's say this, the only way to be more like Jesus the only way to follow the example of Paul, the only way to Obviously, as we're talking about this morning, following the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus is from our knees. It's from serving. It's from meeting other people's needs sacrificially. And I just noticed that. As I was reading that this, this passage this past week, the story of these two men, and to be honest with you, I wasn't, I wasn't overly excited about it because I'm like, man, this priceless pair, we're going to talk about these two guys. Why is this important? Why do we need this today? Why do we, need to, why, why do we even need to talk about this? This is like a character study morning, you know? And I was like, like God, really? Let's just, let's just, do you think anybody would notice if we, just, if we just skipped verses 19 through 30 and just went straight to chapter 3? Like, do you think anybody would really notice that, God? But it's super important. It's super important. Because we're never more like Jesus than when we're washing each other's feet. Then we're washing other people's feet. And we're serving each other. Then we're caring for each other. When we're sacrificially doing things, not so that we can better ourselves, not so that we can increase our reputation, but because that was God's heart for His church, that we would love each other, that we would care for each other in that way. So Paul describes Epaphroditus as a serving man. And I just, I just thought to myself as I was looking through this and seeing what's out there and seeing what's available and seeing what's at our fingertips. And it's a lot of things that try to focus us on things that maybe aren't so close to the heart of God for His church. That maybe aren't so... I think you get it. Paul described Epaphroditus as a serving man. Then look at verse 26. He says there, for he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Not only did he describe Epaphroditus as a serving man, he described him as a sensitive man. Sensitive man. Just like Timothy, he was concerned about others. He had been the one who was nearly sick, uh, sick and nearly died, and yet he was concerned about the fact that other people were worried about him. He was a serving man. He was a sensitive man. And then number three, Paul described Epaphroditus as a sacrificial man. Look at verse 29 and 30. He says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor with such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. As I already mentioned, Epaphroditus, uh, for Epaphroditus to leave Philippi and to go and serve Paul in Rome included a lot of danger and called for a lot of sacrifice. 
Paul was trying to say to, that Epaphroditus put his life on the line for the sake of Christ. There's a great need for the people of God to serve and to sacrifice for the Lord. These two men were ordinary people just like us, and yet they strove to be sympathetic, sensitive, selfless and serving, sacrificial and seasoned servants of God. Because of their commitment, God was able to work through them to His glory and for the good of the church. Anybody ever heard of Charles Swindoll? Chuck Swindoll? Yeah, yeah, I see those hands. I see those hands. Amen, amen. Chuck Swindoll wrote this. For far too long, God's people have drifted along passively dreaming for things to change. You know, I think that's one of the biggest enemies that we face in the church when it comes to progress, passive, you know, passiveness. For far too long, God's people have drifted along passively dreaming for things to change. It's time to act, Chuck Swindoll says. It's time to make things change. Isn't that good? It's time to act. It's time to make things change. And he says, while we're at it, I suggest we have the time of our lives. And and then in only a way that Charles Swindoll can say, he wraps this quote up with saying, let's do it with gusto. That's my new word. Gusto, right? Gusto. Let's do it with gusto. Right? He says, let's have the time of our lives. Let's not, let's not walk passively as the church of Jesus Christ while everything crumbles around us. Let's make things happen. Let's change some things. It's time to make things change. And while we're at it, I suggest we have the time of our lives. Let's do it with gusto. Let's not be comfortable with the, things, the way things are and just say, well, that's how it's always been, so that's the way it needs to stay. No, let's change some things. And let's have the time of our lives doing it. Knowing that we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for the glory of God so that people will meet Jesus and so that we'll make heaven as as big as we can make it. Let's do it with gusto. Let's have the time of our lives. You know the last thing the church ought to be? Boring. The last thing the church ought to be is boring. Some of you guys are like, well, you accomplished that this morning. <laughs> well, let's change it. It's time to make things change, right? What is the biggest thing? What is the biggest, what is the biggest thing we hear today, right? You know that whole, uh, we, we, we talked about this a lot when we walked through our merger, former South Coast and former South Gorham, now Summit, right? We talked about this a lot, right? We talked about this a lot. This whole thing of church shopping. You know, 10, 20 years ago, church shopping wasn't a word. It wasn't a term. It didn't exist. Right? But now, now church shopping and, and my favorite, church hopping. Right? Church hopping. Right? You know what that looks like? Just hop, yeah. Church hopping. Right? We didn't go here in the first service. Here we go. <laughs> and the most common thing we hear when it comes to church shopping and church hopping is this. Well, that church just isn't doing it for me anymore. That church just isn't doing it for me anymore. Or, or, or you know what? They just don't have this. They just don't have this, and I, and I just really need this. And listen, as a pastor, in the most lovingly way that I can possibly say this, I want to say this as a response to that, then make it happen. If you're discontented about something, if you're discontented about something in your church, this might not be your church. You may be visiting today, but if you're discontented, if you're from out of town, or if you're visiting with us, or maybe you're a summit person, you've been here since day one, 12 weeks ago. Um, 
and you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, this just really drives me crazy. Why don't we do this? We, we should do this. That might be God pressing on your heart to do it. Did you ever think of that? Did you, like, that might be God, God stirring in your heart to do something in our lobby to make it different and more welcoming and more loving or to make more coffee. I would love you for that. Or to do this. Or to, I'm just throwing things out there, right? Or to change the carpet. Hallelujah. Or to, you know, whatever, right? Whatever. But if it discontents you, then, then there ought to be a real conversation with God and not just walk away with your tail between your legs and, and, and pout into another church because they have that, but actually serve God sacrificially and make that happen. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. I love you. I love you. But for far too long, we've sugarcoated that stuff with each other. And, and, I, and I, think, I, I think that... And I'm not, I'm not saying... Listen, listen. No, people aren't coming to me and saying, well, if you had this, I'd stay. No, 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 listen. But I know. I know that that's a, that that's a real thing. Right? I know that that's a real thing. Well, the pastor, the pastor doesn't do this for me or he doesn't talk to me anymore. Have you talked to him? Have you reached out to him? Because look, I, I've said it the last two nights around tables. Man, I would love to eat dinner with every one of you at least once a week. I'm serious. No, look, I know that sounds funny because my spiritual gift is food, but listen, listen, that's my heart. Like, I would love... I'm such a relational person. That's why I can't lead a church of like a thousand people because I would just go nuts because I can't do life with all of them. I can't. I just can't do it. Like other guys can. More power to them. People are meeting Jesus. That's awesome. You know? Like I'm not, I'm not downing that. I'm not criticizing that. Please hear me. But, but, if, I, but if I had my way, like I would, I, would, I would have coffee with you and you would buy like every day. <laughs> So have you tried? Have you tried? I love what Paul says here about Timothy and Epaphroditus because they're people that we can follow. They're people that we can say, okay, these are ordinary guys. These are ordinary guys. And we can model our lives after them. We can do these things. Like we can be sensitive to each other's needs. We can be caring. We can, we can serve for God, not ourselves, and not to, not to, not to please ourselves, and not to, not to do all these things. Like we, can, we can do that. Three things for application. I'm done, I promise. Number one, we can walk in humility. We can walk in humility. Now, we've talked about humility a lot over the past couple weeks because Paul set an example for humility. Jesus set an example for humility. He humbled himself twice here in Philippians chapter 2. But then we see humility in the life of Timothy. We see humility in the life of Epaphroditus. You know what that shows me? We can walk in humility towards one another. Considering each other more significant than ourselves. Looking out for the interests of others, not our own. We can walk in humility. Peter says in the book of 1 Peter, get dressed in humility. Clothe yourselves in humility, all of you. All of you. All of you. None, are, none of us are excused from walking in humility. Well, that's not my gift. None of us are excused from walking in humility. None of us. We can 
walk in humility. Number two, we can participate in sacrificial service. Not just service, we can participate in sacrificial service. Remember what we said two weeks ago, Easter Sunday, we said ministry that costs nothing accomplishes something. Where are you sacrificing? Where are you sacrificing? We can participate in sacrificial service. Now, I know the temptation, but pastor, pastor, I I get it, I get it. Hang on a second, though. I just don't have time. I just don't have time. I just don't have time. I mean, you nailed it on the head, Pastor, last week when you talked about those plates up here, right? I got this plate spinning. 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 I just can't do it all. I just can't do it all. I can't fit sacrificial service into my life. And let me say this, two things of encouragement. Number one, if you can't fit sacrificial service in your life, then you really need to let some plates drop. If you're not washing someone's feet in some way, shape, or form, then there's, some, there's too many things happening. Now, I know I'm speaking to some rock stars that never stop washing other people's feet. And so I, I, I recognize that. There's part of me that's preaching to the choir this morning. I recognize that. But for some of us who sit and say, I just don't have time to wash other people's feet, then there's some plates that need to drop. There's some plates that need to drop. Second thing I'll say, because this is, the, this is the part where we get critical and kind of legalistic in the church. Sacrificial service doesn't always happen within these walls. Sacrificial service doesn't always happen within these walls. You may be serving with another community ministry. You may be serving here. You may be serving there. That's why I say if you're not washing someone's feet somewhere throughout the week, then there's some plates that need to fall. But we can participate in sacrificial service. We can do it. We can make it a part of our lives. It's an issue of priority. How much does it mean to you to serve? To be like Jesus? To live in humility? To walk in humility? And to serve? And we can find ways. And there's two two words here that come with sacrificial service. Okay, I'm going to hit these real quick. Number one, seasons. Seasons. There's seasons for things, right? There's seasons for things. Um, this morning, we, uh, we, had a, we had a need because, um, I don't know if you guys noticed, it was a little messy this morning. And so the person that was um, serving in our nursery was a little late. And Sherilyn was kind of running around. We need somebody to guard the nursery for a few minutes. And I got pumped because I was like, I'd love to be in there with the kids for a few minutes until the person shows up that's going to serve in our nursery. I'd love to do that. The kids might not like it, but I would love to do that, right? I'd love to go in there and serve for this, for, you know, it's a small season, like 10 minutes, right? But, but I would love that, right? Sherilyn doesn't want me as a permanent member of the children's ministry team. I can promise you that. She doesn't want me because the kids would complain too much. But I would love to serve in that way. I would love to serve in that way. Right? And there's different seasons. You know, I'm looking out, and, there, and a lot of you have served in, in, in many ways in different seasons. There's seasons for serving. There's seasons for serving sacrificially. What season of serving are you in right now? Secondly, I was sitting with one of my pastors this past week for a couple hours, and he looked at me across the table, and we were having coffee, and he looked at me across the table, and he said this. He said, stop trying to balance your life. I said, hallelujah, I've waited for somebody to tell me that like four years. Like, I love you. But then he said this. He said, find sustainable rhythms 
in your life. The issue for many of us and why we don't serve is because serving isn't a rhythm in our life. But video games can be a rhythm. Going to the movies is a rhythm. These other things can be a rhythm. So create these healthy rhythms in your life of rest, of recreation, which is recreating yourself, right? And all, and all of these things. And so my challenge is, what's your season for sacrificial serving? Number two, do you have a rhythm for sacrificial serving? So we can, we can walk in humility. Number two, we can participate participate in sacrificial service. We could talk about that a lot more. But then number three, we can live in God's grace. We can live in God's grace. We can live in God's grace. Who are you doing it for? I find it interesting that both both of these men that Paul wrote about to the church of Philippi, he makes the comment they're doing it not for themselves, but for Jesus Christ. They're doing it not for themselves, but for Jesus Christ. See, so many of us, we get focused on serving and we lose heart and we get bored or we get exhausted doing it. You know why I think that is for many of us? For many of us, not all of us. Not all of us, because there's exceptions to everything. But for many of us, I think we get so exhausted and burnt out doing it because we're doing it for performance. We're doing it to be seen. We're doing it to be noticed. We're doing it to feel good about ourselves. We're doing it so that other people will feel good about us. We're doing it because we think somehow we're more spiritual if we do it that way. But that's not the heart of serving. The heart of serving is that you could never outgive God with the way that He has served us. The heart of serving is that that little rhythm that we build into our lives of sacrificially serving back to God. It's almost like a thank you. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your grace in my life. And now I want to love others. I want to serve others. I want to be a picture of God's grace to others. So I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing this for thank you. I'm not doing this for applause. I'm not doing this to be seen. I'm not doing this to, you know, you know my favorite team in the church, two favorite teams in the church, two favorite teams in the church. Now, this is going to offend some people, and I'm sorry if you serve in other teams. I love you, and I appreciate you too. But our cleaning team, our cleaning team that cleans week after week and never gets seen. But I walked into the church the other night and I'm like, you know what? Jim and Anita were here because it smells like pine saw. And I know the weeks that somebody on the second row cleans because it just is amazing. And I can't name him because he would probably leave the church. But you might be able to guess who it is. I didn't name him. And the second group is these people that are giving our kids Jesus. Week after week, month after month while we're in here. Man, 
sacrificially serving, coming to two services so that they can serve. Man. And you may sit and say, well, pastor, that rules me out. I can't be with kids because I'm like you. They wouldn't like me. Secondly, I can't clean the church. That's okay. Where has God called you to sacrificially serve? Where has God called you to wash somebody's feet? Where has God called you to be an example? Follow an example and be an example. We can walk in humility. We can participate in sacrificial service. And we can live in God's grace. We can. It's in the trunk. We just got to open that thing, pull it out, dust it off. Look at who we're doing it for. Keep serving. I mentioned the song. Worship team's going to come. And they're going to sing the song, Lord, I Need You. There's some of us in this room, and you're walking through a situation, you're walking through a circumstance, you're walking through a relationship, and you just need a touch from God today. We don't do this very often. We don't make this a, a, a regular thing, but... When they were running through the song this morning, when I got here a little bit before the first service started, I just felt the nudge that, you know what, we need to offer this today. Nobody, nobody took advantage of it first service, and it's all good in the hood if nobody takes advantage of a second service. But we've got some people in here that are available that would love to pray for you. If you're sitting there this morning and you say, you know what, I just need God in this situation. I just need a touch from the Lord. I just need him. I need to stop doing this on my own. I need to recognize my need for God. So there's some people. Jim Carlson's right up here on the second row. Henry Carson's in the back. Ian's in the back. If you'd like to pray with them. Lois. Lois, will you wave your hand? Lois, please. In the back, will you just wave your hand? Lois is back there. If, if, if you're more comfortable, would like to pray with, with a female. Lois is back there. She'd love to pray with you. She'd love to pray with you. You would make her day. Somebody please go pray with her during the song. But, but, if, but if you're sitting there this morning, you're like, you know what? Maybe I need God to make clear where He would have me serve. Maybe I need God to make clear the areas of my life that I need to walk in greater humility. Maybe I need God to make clear, am I doing this for, for performance? Or am I doing this out of the grace of God? But if you're sitting there today and you say, you know what, I just need God. And I'd just like to have somebody pray with me. Just know those people are available for you during the song. Jeff's going to invite you to stand after I pray. And then after the song, I'll come back and close our service. God, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that we're not alone. God, I thank you that you have given us the tools to walk through the things that you're bringing us through right now. God, I pray for wisdom and discernment. God, that you would show us clearly the areas in our life, individually, God, where we just need you. And so God, I pray for your love and for your grace to be present in this room right now. In Jesus' name.